You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. I'm um, so it's going to get weird. Let's just start there. Um, it's going to get real weird today. Are you ready? Good. Me too. Even if you're not, it's still going to get weird. So um, I'm going to tell you a story about biscuits. <laughs> When I came to Candidate here in July, we went to Butter My Biscuit Cafe. Mm, mm-hmm. It was the last place that we went before we headed to Dallas to fly back to Washington State, and it was life-changing. I have had biscuits. I have made biscuits. These were something different. Magical, transcendent, better in every way, fluffy, so tall, so incredibly life-changing. So we ate biscuits, we said goodbye to Toph, all six of us loaded up, and then we tried to reconcile the deep love that we had formed for UBC and for Waco, tried to reconcile that with the reality that we did not know if I would be offered the call to come here and pastor. And that was hard that was a, like a long couple of days. But was it as hard as it felt to miss those biscuits? <laughs> Good Lord. So you fast forward, and we live here. It's the end of October, okay? We've moved out of our rental into our house. Life is gaining some sort of uh, normalcy. And then we remembered <sighs> those biscuits. So I get online to check their hours, to my absolute devastation, I learned that they have permanently closed. Wait for it. Three days before. That is the right response. I missed biscuits by three days. And the worst part of it is that May had been asking me to take her for weeks. Oh, yeah. And I kept on saying, maybe next weekend. Maybe next weekend. And now no weekend. <laughs> and while my biscuit crisis might be uh, a weird way to start a message, trust me, um, these are very tough passages, and there is a common thread. Our Old Testament passage from Jonah tells the story of Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, and the prophet who was sent to condemn it. And someday I will do an entire storyline on uh, Jonah because it is one of my very favorite books in the whole of the Bible. Um, but now, for today, we'll just do the 17-second backstory. You can time me. Please don't, but you can. Jonah was sent to proclaim judgment on Nineveh for their crimes against the Israelites and people at large. Jonah, hardcore, did not want to do that for myriad reasons, up to and including the fact that if he was to be captured, he would have been tortured and killed. So fair, you know? Jonah did what any reasonable human would do, and he ran as fast and as far as he could in the opposite direction. Then some weird stuff went down, and that's why we need an entire sermon series on this. Uh, but weird stuff happened, and Jonah eventually decided to do what God had told him to do in the first place, 
And that's where we got to join the conversation. Jonah walked through Nineveh crying, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Listen, that is not how you make friends. <laughs> Much to Jonah's shock and grave disappointment, the Ninevites took him at his word and they fasted, they mourned, and they turned from their former ways. Now, our New Testament passage is a bit of a hot mess. Um, it is not permission to leave your wife as if she doesn't exist. So um, if that's what you took from it, let's chat after. I will be hanging out in the lobby. But here's Paul pontificating about relationships and priorities, marriage, divorce, just like a whole lot of stuff shoved into one chapter. We could spend an entire year untangling 1 Corinthians 7, literally. Like we could go line by line. But tucked in the middle of it is some context that is actually really helpful for the rest of that very strange chapter. Paul does not want the church at Corinth to lose their sense of immediacy. He wants their present to be rooted in the future, in the right now and not yet kingdom of God. The appointed time is short, he writes, for the present form of this world is passing away. So you may or may not know this, um, but one of the very best and favorite things that I got to do when I started was just to sit down with a bunch of people um, over coffee, over uh, a cider, if I was so inclined and you were nice enough to bring me one. Uh, I got to hear a lot of stories. And I feel incredibly thankful that you would share your pain and your joys and your trauma and your sense of hesitancy and your skepticism with me, um, that is just an incredible privilege. And I'm very thankful for the conversations that I've got to have and that I'll get to have um, as I pastor UBC. Um, and I resonate with so many of your stories. I came to this semblance of faith in my late teens. I've been in vocational ministry for many, many years, and I understand the compulsion to try to please or impress God. I know the heartache that comes when it is God's turn to show up and the diagnosis persists, the waiting doesn't end, the relationship dissolves anyway, the acceptance of the community never materializes. I've lived the bitterness of a hope deferred. And I have experienced the silence of God. And I have been wounded by the platitudes that are supposed to make us feel better. Because that's the goal of our faith, right? Just to feel better. Here's my list, and I'm sure you could add to them. The teacher is always quietest during the test. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Oh, I just hate that one especially. Oof. Let go and let God. Everything happens for a, right, all of them. And yet I read Jonah and I read 1 Corinthians and I'm reminded that we are invited into a special, safe, loving, parental, protective relationship with the author and creator of life, of existence, of you and of me, and as hard as it is to reconcile what I've experienced with this reality, because God is who God is, 
God has every right to ask something of us. Our lives are intertwined. They are caught up with the divine because of the love and the gift of Jesus. Grace invites and it expects. And I know that that is very contrary to the idea of freely given grace. But grace, wholeness, peace, these things expect and deserve a response. They impart purpose. They ask us to participate in our own restoration and join in God's healing love for the world. So Jonah, a prophet who knew and understood God's nature deeply, did not want to go to Assyria because he knew that God would forgive Jonah's enemies if they asked God to do so. That's exactly what happened. When God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from punishment. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. God asked something of Jonah. God asked that he would be a vessel of peace and restoration for a nation that Jonah hated, and he was not receptive. And I don't know if I would have been either. The Assyrians destroyed and enslaved many of Jonah's kinsmen. I don't know if I would have done anything different. But does that mean that God doesn't have the right to ask Jonah in the first place? And does my willingness or lack thereof get to dictate the way God invites me into the work of the kingdom? Then there's Paul's words to the Corinthians. He is pleading with them to stay focused to live without distraction, to set their lives in the framework and the currency and the time frame of the kingdom of God. And I'm wondering a few things about myself and about UBC in light of Jonah's response and Paul's instructions to be singularly focused on the work of God. Do we live our lives like they are precious? and important, and filled with purpose and potential. Have we, have I, become so lost in the questions of our faith that we stop trying to progress? Have I grown complacent? Have you? UBC strives to be a place that is safe to learn and to doubt a place where questions are not only uh, okay, but are welcomed and desired, a place where we can grow and a place for us to heal. And all of those things require something of us. And while it's important to take the time and the space that we need to create or recreate our faith, it can be so Tempting and so easy to hide in that space and to start to stagnate. It's scary. 
It's scary to do the work of putting together a faith for the first time or to find your way back into a faith that has been done in a way that is harmful. And as scary as that can be, it's also crucial to ask ourselves these really hard questions. If we value the values of the kingdom, if we love justice and equity and inclusion, if we believe in restoration, in resurrection, in all of its forms, if we hold on to the uncommon love of the divine, we hold some responsibility in doing that work. So are you wondering where the biscuit story comes in yet? That was my biscuit dance. It's dumb, okay? It's dumb, but... I had the chance to prioritize something that was important to someone who is important to me. And I assumed I would get there eventually. I did not respond in time. And sure, it's just biscuits. There's nothing just about those biscuits. Oh, but my friends, I have handfuls of examples of times when I did not respond and the consequences were much more far-reaching. Times where I knew where I know things. You know that place where you just know things? I knew where I knew things, that God was asking something of me, and I was running as fast and far in the opposite direction as I could. There have been times that I still lament, where I stayed silent when I knew I was supposed to speak. Whew times when I stayed immobile because the thing seemed too inconvenient or too risky or too hard. And I say all of this knowing that some in this room just genuinely need time to exist and recover. And there is space for that. That is important work. And I also know that there are some in this room who need reminded that the vision of the kingdom is worth the work. And it's worth growing. In either case, God is still active in each of our lives. God is inviting us to rest, inviting us to move, inviting us to hear and to respond to that uncommon voice of the divine, the one whom our soul and life needs to know. So I'll ask you what I've been asking myself all week, and I don't have any good answers for, but maybe you do. What is that voice saying to you today? What do you need to let the mission and the vision and the beauty of the kingdom sweep you up and seep down into your bones and compel you to respond in a new way? And are you listening? And am I listening? UBC, may we be a congregation who sees the value in the work of the kingdom, who knows it like we know ourselves. May we be a safe place to heal. And may we take our healing with us as we love others in the name and the goodness of Jesus. May we find what we need to respond to the voice and purpose of God in our lives. 
And may we do so together. Because that's the gift and that's the fun. May we be united in the pursuit of peace for all we meet. Amen. And now we'll take some time. Uh, I would encourage you to ask that question. What are you saying to me? Where have I gotten stuck? Where do I need to rest and where do I need to heal?